the knowledge base that you have or that skill set that you have is only worth about 50% of your potential success. And the thing is that most people think it's going to carry them 80, 85% of their potential success. So what I always tell people is like, you need to go invest in business management knowledge equal to the skill set or the knowledge base that you bring to the table. So if you think that you're a world-renowned expert in this thing and people are going to hire you because you do it, but hey, if you want a successful business, you got to understand business. Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. You're going to learn three incredible things from today's guest. One is the number one asset that most business owners ignore. The second is how processes can make you life changing money. And the third thing is what you need to prepare to maximize an exit. Welcome again to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. If it's your first time, I'm so glad that you're here. If you love it, subscribe. If you're a regular, always welcome those reviews, whether it be on Spotify, iTunes, whatever platform you're listening to today. Uh, Please take notes and I'd spell out key things in the podcast, but there's also a summary in our show notes at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And also you can get a full transcription if you want. I do look down and I take notes. It's because I'm getting those show notes so right for you, but also it helps me ask better questions. So I'm always interested in the guest and I'm very interested in today's guest. So he is known as the Side Hustle Millionaire, which is the same as his best-selling book on Amazon. He had a corporate career of over 25 years, mainly in the oil and gas, then in automotive. And then he had a couple of side hustles on the side that actually turned into multi-million dollar businesses. And with a life-changing accident in 2015, that's when he left corporate to pursue these. And he still runs some businesses, but what he really loves to do is actually help other entrepreneurs to both start, scale, and exit their business. And he gives lots of value in that area today. So now what I'll do is hand you over to Tony Watley from 365 Driven. Great to have you on the show, Tony. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to maybe sharing some insight with your audience and getting to know you better as well. Yeah, well, I was fortunate, as I said in the beforehand, we went live that I uh, listened to one of your podcasts, uh, which I'll highly recommend, and we'll leave the, the name in the show notes for sure. But um, yeah, I was listening to you and your backstory, and uh, and we're just talking briefly about that. So I, 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 you know, I sort of understand you as a person, which is fantastic. But today, uh, we're really looking forward for you to share some of your knowledge around uh, scaling and exiting businesses. Um, but why don't we kick off with, um, you know, who are the clients that you love to work with at the moment? Typically, my one-on-one coaching clients are seven and eight-figure revenue type business owners that maybe have a small team. They're overworked. Maybe they're chasing revenue figures out of ego because they think that validates them as an entrepreneur. But I really focus on just trying to maximize profit, also minimizing the time involved. Because I think that a lot of times people feel like they have to do everything themselves or they don't trust other people. There's a lot of trust issues. They don't have the systems and processes in place to be able to scale properly. They don't even know what processes are a lot of times. So they have these 
high turnover with employees and they're always having to retrain new people and they're frustrating themselves and they train somebody up and they last a year, then they quit, then a new person comes in and they got to train them again. And so they're wasting this time running on this never ending carousel. And we step in and teach them how to write processes, just document what you do, document the roles and responsibilities, create the org chart. So people have a visionary of where they're going to head to, you know, what's their job sequence or career progression. And I understand that, you know, 25 years of my working in corporate at a very high level that I was around that all the time, especially in the management ranks. And I was able to take the things I learned from corporate and apply them to small business. But I was really blown away probably about 10 years ago when I started doing this consulting, how many small business owners had not had that corporate experience. They didn't even know what we were talking about until we introduced it. So I realized like there's a big need for the knowledge that I brought out of the corporate side. Yeah, and then look, to be honest, I even found when I worked in other corporates, and I was fortunate to spend most of my career at Coca-Cola, uh, was all of my working career at Coca-Cola, yeah. and um, yeah, I was amazed at just how sophisticated they were after 150 years and making lots of money, which meant that they could invest in their processes and their people. Compared to other businesses, I'm like, oh, wow, you, you don't have this, you don't have that. Um, it was quite quite surprising and look we'll dive into that more in a, in a moment but as far as um you know is there any type of business like you said you know you've given a revenue and uh, i'm glad you mentioned profit just not revenue but gave a revenue number well what about you know are they all b2b are they service-based is it a mixture it's definitely a mixture and i love that about the coaching space because i've got a very diverse background in different industries myself 25 years oil and gas, 20 years automotive performance, 10 years in restaurants and service industry, retail industry, e-com. I've owned businesses for 17 years doing online drop shipping. So I've got a lot of diverse things. And then my clients come in with their own industries. And the best thing about this, Paul, is that we get to see what things are done better or worse in each industry. Because a lot of times we get into an industry, work within a silo. We don't know what other industries are doing. We just kind of follow the best practices, air quotes, of our industry. And a lot of times it's just broken. And you start to want, you're like, why are you guys doing it this way? This is terrible. What is this? What are you guys doing here? What is this process that you're using? Why aren't you doing this like the medical professionals are doing? Oh, what do they do? You tell them like, holy crap, that could actually work for what we do. So Having that diversity in the backgrounds and industries, I love that. And it gives it a little variety for me too. Yeah. And and look, you spoke about processes. Like I said, we'll dive a little bit deeper in a moment. But what are some of the other key problems that you see? Let's say, you know, because most of you listening at the moment are probably running a, you know, cloud business, a cloud consulting business or a consulting business. You know, you're probably about, you know, sort of, you know, less than 20 people maybe turning over between, you know, 500 to sort of two mil. That's sort of the, the sweet spot. So given that, what are some of the problems that you see in particular in that space? Well, the number one problem for business failure is cash flow mismanagement. Most people just don't put enough reserves away. And I think about that. How do you calculate that, right? Most people understand that they need to have some sort of reserves. I always say they have 30 to 60 days minimum as a cash reserve that will cover all of your overhead costs, all of your expenses, all of your payroll. Should there be downturns and lulls in your business, or maybe God forgive, you know, somebody shuts down the business and calls you non-essential for a little while, yes. you have to be able to weather the storm. So the longer that you can build that war chest of money, you can just really have a lot easier anxiety-free working and operations because you understand like, hey, we got this if things go down, we can figure this out. Because the number one problem I see with a lot of businesses is that they don't keep that reserve and then they deplete it 
And they're having to basically rob Peter to pay Paul. So they're taking in new work to be able to pay for the old stuff that they should have already completed. So this is a never ending cycle that becomes this never ending tailspin that just results in a crash. So always make sure that you can get ahead of that. And also relies on the business model too. A lot of times people think about starting a business, but they do it as a cash neutral business model where they're having to do all the work up front, taking on all the risk before they get paid. Now, cash Cash positive is when you get paid before you do the work. And then cash neutral is when you try to just have the invoices based on milestones where it's like, hey, we'll do 20% of the money. You give 20% of the invoice and then we'll do 40% and you invoice for 40%. So that's kind of neutral. So don't go cash negative. Try to stay neutral or positive. Yeah, I think that's so important. And uh, I've got a friend and I hope he's not listening now, but he runs a very successful business because people judge it on revenue, right? So he's a multi, Mm -hmm. he's a high eight, early nine figure uh, turnover business. But when I look at his business model is basically importing things from overseas where he pays for it first and it sits here when he finally gets it and then he goes to try to sell it, right? Or, you know, at the moment with uh, COVID, you know, he's basically already got the order, but he can't get the the stock, all of that, right? It's right. A, and, and I look at the actual drawings and the profit that he makes out of all of that headache, I'm thinking, no, I'd much rather run a very simple service business. So, um, yeah, I think you, you're right. And, and what do you, you know, cash flow is really important. Um, just some of those profit levers that you see, like where when you step into a business, I hope that sort of, you know, let's call it a seven-figure business, what do you see as some of the, the low-hanging fruit around uh, ways to improve their profitability? I think that one of the first small businesses in that range that you mentioned, I think a lot of times people spend way too much money on the branding aspect. Because you mentioned Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has billions of dollars. They are used to doing the full suite branding package. They'll go spend six figures on a branding campaign just for a product launch. And you see a lot of these smaller businesses that look at the bigger businesses kind of like as their mentor. And they go, hey, if Coca-Cola does it this way, then maybe I need to do that too. And I need to go spend, let's say, a reduced level, even if it's $50,000 to go pursue a branding campaign and the colors and the psychology of your, your words. And they do all this stuff. But, you know, having the best brand isn't going to guarantee you any leads because you should be putting that budget really to lead generation and marketing in order to generate sales, which can result in a higher profit, which can afford you branding later. I think a lot of times people just really overemphasize branding at that first one to two years. Don't do that so much. Just work on organic stuff, deliver the products, promise what you're going to offer and deliver that at a high level build enough profit to be able to go do the branding campaigns. Can I leave that for the big players later? Yeah, and and, and look, uh, certainly for me, I also find that, you know, valuing someone's time. Someone will give me their numbers. I'm like, okay, so how much drawings do you take? And they're like, what do you mean? You know, that's just, you know, I'm like, so you work for free. So would you go and work for someone else for free? But why would you work for yourself for free? So I think, you know, often people just don't really understand. You know how you talk at the start around corporate and processes? Like you and I have, you know, been very lucky that we've been trained in some fantastic businesses. It's the same with finance, right? I, I find that a lot of owners don't really understand their numbers. I have a rolling profit forecast that I look at every week that is on a monthly basis to actually know my numbers. And, um, you know, I just find that that's not, not always the case. So we talked about scaling and we talked about sales, right? You said, you know, don't spend your marketing on 
branding and, and I completely get that and you know it was hard for me to unwind that right 18 years of doing it a certain way to unwind that and it probably took me longer than I should but what should they be spending money on so at the moment I'm looking to scale my business and we'll talk about exit in a moment but if I'm looking to scale my business what do you see at the moment are the the key ways of doing that I'm going to present this in a way that says that maybe you don't have a lot of financial reserve to be able to go hire a bunch of employees, because that's the obvious way to scale, right? Create more processes and systems, let employees kind of grow from that organically, if not. But I would just say that there's a lot of things you can do for free to really grow your business. One is just to cut costs. That's the biggest thing. A lot of times people just have over extravagant expectations of what they should have as a business owner. Maybe you have a business that you could literally run out of a spare bedroom or an office in your house, but you don't feel that that's important enough. So you go rent some office space or office building and you want to feel like a big boy or a big girl and have a real office and be a real business. But guys, at the end of the day, the profit's what tells you if you're a real business or not. It doesn't matter where you work and all these different things. So we take a lot of these corporate behaviors back into the business front as well. We think like, oh, you got to have this fancy desk and you got to have a, a nice car and all these expenses just start adding up and then you don't make any profit and you wonder why you're even in business. The other thing that I think about for a newer business owner, say one to two years, or maybe you have the idea and you want to start a business. A lot of times people really rely too heavily on their knowledge base or their skill set. Maybe they got a talent or skill set that they're being really well compensated for in their corporate jobs, or they have a knowledge base. Maybe they're just really intelligent or they an authority on some subjects. So they think, hey, I know this stuff or I can do this thing. I'm going to go start a business and I will be very successful. That's a huge mistake. Because I always say that the knowledge base that you have or that skill set that you have is only worth about 50% of your potential success. And the thing is, is that most people think it's going to carry them 80, 85% of their potential success. So what I always tell people is like, you need to go invest in business management knowledge equal to the skill set or the knowledge base that you bring to the table. So if you think that you're a world-renowned expert in this thing and people are going to hire you because you do it, but hey, if you want a successful business, you got to understand business, which means, like you said, accounting, marketing, branding, copywriting, sales, closing, all these things that most people just avoid because they're like, I don't want to be a salesperson. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I'm super smart. They're going to pay me. Like, no, they're not. Because yeah. if they can't find you, they're not going to know how to do business with you. You could write the very best book in this world, but if nobody could find it, it wouldn't even matter. Yeah, looks so true. And, uh, you know, for me, Tony, that that was me leaving uh, Coke, right? I, I I was smart enough to go and get a small business coach because I knew that I had to be, you know, there's some things I needed to keep, but there's some things I needed to be retrained or learn for the first time. Like you said, 50%, I think that's a really good uh, analogy based on my experience. But, you know, like, you know, for me, it was always, you know, I'll build it and then, then go and find my audience, right? <laughs> it's just such a painful way of, of doing it. And sadly, you know, that took me too long. To, to do that. So for you, right, I know that you're someone that's got an amazing community. We'll mention at the end and we'll put in the show notes the link to the Facebook group as well so uh, people can go to do that, which I just joined. But, um, you know, for you, if you want to start that audience, start that community, you know, how do you go about that? Oh, this is a good one. It, nowadays, it's very confusing when you want to start a community. First of all, you've got to have a reason for people to want to be a part of your community. And not all business models or products require a community or warrant a community. Kind of get that out of your system. Yeah. 
So should you decide that your product or your service or your movement or your mantra warrants starting a community that you think people would like to be a part of, that they'd like to engage and be a bigger, something bigger than themselves, right? Now the thing about is you're competing against people that just think about followers. Nowadays it's social media, we got TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, everybody's really concerned with followers. They want followers for some reason. Like to me, if you have a bunch of fake followers, like these other people pay for these, they literally buy fake followers. Those fake followers paying fake dollars. So what does it even matter? Like you and I know billionaires that don't have any social media. So what is the, what does it matter? So the problem with follower chasing is that it's very egocentric. It puts you at the top of the pyramid and you think that, everybody's just here to follow me because I'm super awesome and look at my awesome life. And that's kind of what you're thinking that's going to build a community, but that's just a follower group. That might be a fan club. That's not a follower group. It's not a community, right? There's a distinct difference. So when you want to build a community, you have to realize that it has to be bigger than you. It's not you at the top of the pyramid. I think about this visually as an upside down pyramid, but you're at the bottom holding it up. So you're holding it up above your head because you're just the leader of this community, but it isn't about you. It's about the entire community. And as a community leader, my duty is to facilitate and create opportunities for my community members to link and gather and become friends. Because the best way I want to visualize this is I'm building a virtual bar, you know, like cheers, right? You want to go where everybody knows your name. You want to go where everybody recognizes you and glad that you came. Like if you think about if I could just build the virtual bar and have enough interest things going on in there that people want to show up and hang out and keep seeing their friends. And I have these live events and people get off their keyboards and they come hang out and they meet each other and they give each other hugs and they shake hands and they know each other by first name and they become friends. And then they go back to their lives and they collaborate and they do all these things together. That's what I do. I, I build bonds between each and every member of the community. It's not about me as a follower base type thing that you're chasing it's a one-way conversation a lot of times with these influencers because they want to stand at the top. They want to bark or tweet about what they're talking about. And they don't really care about what you think or how you respond because it's a one-way conversation. Community leaders understand that it's a multiple-way conversation and the links don't just go from me to them. because from me to them and them, them to them. They, I want to make sure that those links are always established. Yeah, look, I think that's a it's a great point. And to be honest, I've mainly run memberships, right? And memberships were normally based around me, right? Me as the thought leader, I'm providing the value, but I'm about to launch a community for cloud uh, consultants. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a really valuable point where it's actually, you know, peers talking to each other. And, you know, I find that a lot of people are on a platform where, you know, they're on the one platform, might be Salesforce, Microsoft, whatever. So that's all they hear. So your point before where they don't look outside their industry, it's all, they're all saying the same. And the other thing is, you know, the the, the platform partner's not there to really support them, right? They just want them to sell licenses. So therefore running that business, that 50% you said that you need, who do they get that from? So, you know, to me, I want to launch that as a as a community so peers can actually go across platforms and help each other. But where do I start, right? I've run memberships before, and I know this is a bit of a selfish question, but you might be looking and thinking about this in the future yourself. But where do I start for some something like that or to, to get that, you know, to get that first domino going? I mean, it's really just as simple as starting something like a Facebook group nowadays, which is very simple to do. And if you yep. don't know how to do that, you can find 
YouTube videos or even Facebook has how-to articles on how to create. It's very simple to create a Facebook group. Literally, you can do it in five minutes. It's not that hard. And that's a good way to start. But I would say that as your group starts to grow a little bit bigger, maybe you want to have more direct communication with your group, look for external apps like Mighty Networks. That's a good app. It's a social media type looking network. It's got a really nice looking phone app that looks very much like a Facebook type vibe to it which makes people very familiar on how to use it. So they're not having to have this learning curve. It's something that's new, that's just hard to use. And with those platforms that you go pay to have is the best thing about that is if I create a post, I can send a broadcast to everybody that's a member instead of fighting the algorithms on Facebook, which limit you severely. Because when I started my group about four years ago on Facebook, the organic reach was very high. When I would create something in that group, almost everybody that was a member would see a notification or would show up on their feed, which is great because that was the newest thing back then for Facebook. And they're all excited about it. And they wanted to encourage people to use it and make these groups. So they gave you a lot of organic reach. Nowadays, it's very tough. I would say if I was estimating probably less than 5% of the members will actually see that post on their feed. And even as an administrator, someone that owns groups, Sometimes I don't even see the posts that are created in my group unless I go in my group to go look for them. They don't show up on my normal feed. So Facebook has very much become a pay to play thing. But on a small group, I think that'll be a higher organic reach. As your group gets a little bit bigger, let's say over a thousand people, they start to wind back that that reach. So just understand that you're going to have to create more content to reach the same amount of people or you're going to have to take them off and do some other app that reaches them 100%. Yeah, look, that's great advice. And and we've got our membership at the moment on Mighty Networks. Loving it. I made the switch from Slack and never go back. I think, you know, it's $85 yeah. US a month for as many members I want and I own it, mm-hmm. whereas Slack was free, so to speak. But every 10,000 content item, you're lost. Right? And I was mm-hmm. always getting told. It was, yeah, and there's, uh, I think Mighty Networks is a brilliant platform. So that's great advice. So let's switch gears a bit to exiting, right? So you've successfully exited two businesses. You've helped many people across the globe to do the same. What are some things that people just don't get right? Because it's their first time of doing it right. You know, how can you give them a bit of a forward look into to the future and give um, give some advice? The key thing is understand that, The simple way to understand this really is that the exit price, the valuation of your company is usually based on a multiplier of your profit or your EBITDA. Most people don't understand that. So here's the problem that most small business owners run into is they usually put their business up for sale because of some reaction to something. Maybe they're they're wanting to retire or maybe they're sick or their partner quits or someone passes away, unfortunately, and they are forced into a selling position. And never gave it any consideration. They thought they were going to do this forever. And now they're thinking about selling the company. So they come to me or they go to a broker and they say, hey, I'm looking to sell my business. Like, what do you think it's worth? And they start doing the the valuation and looking and go, it's really not worth much. Not worth much at all. And and people are always blown away by this. They're like, whoa, I've had a really good living. I've been making $150,000 a year for the last 10 years. And, you know, we're doing X amount of millions in sales. Like, how can it be worth nothing? It's because it's not making enough profit that is interesting to a potential buyer because you're still one, you're working in the company, uh, you're pulling the levers and pushing the buttons yourself. That severely hurts your valuation because people that are buying companies aren't looking for a job. They're looking for a money machine. They want a money machine that's driven by processes and systems and employees and leaders in place already that 
they could just take over the title of the company and own it and invest the money into it. And it makes this predictable profit over and over and over. That's what they're looking for is a money machine. They're not looking for a job. So you've always got to put yourself in the perspective of a potential buyer. What are they looking for? They're not looking for a job. This is not a franchise type setup where they're looking to work there for a couple of years and wear the name tag on their shirt and act like they're part of the team. Like they're not looking for that. Buyers are not interested in now, especially private equity companies and things like that. They are definitely not looking for a job. They have money. So here's the problem that guys in the United States, it's about a three-year financial window that they go back and audit. So if you understand, if you're going to create the valuation of your company based on a snapshot of the last three years, of your financial performance, that means that your books and your profit need to be in order for at least the last three years before you even think about going to sell your company if you want to maximize the valuation. So here's the problem also. Most small business owners like to hide their profits. Yes. They like to reinvest with air quotes back into the company and they like to buy equipment that might get used, but not really going to add to the profit line. They just, oh yeah, we made all this profit. Let's go spend $500,000 on this printer over there just in case we need it someday because we don't want to pay the taxes on it, right? We don't want to show this big profit. We have to pay taxes on it. So do some simple math here. I'll, I'll try to do this in my head. Yeah. Think about this. If you were making, keep it simple, $100,000 a year profit. Legit profit. If you're making $100,000, here in the United States, you would pay about $30,000 in tax yeah. on that. 30, 30%. Keep it simple. Round numbers. Yeah. So what people will do is like, oh man, this $100,000, like, I don't want to report that. Let me go buy a couple vehicles, some tools, some, just, just spend this money back down. So they do this to avoid some, paying some 30, office they, furniture. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you just something. They're just doing something or. You, they don't want to, they're trying to save that $30,000 in tax. I get yeah. that. Okay. That's, that's a smart play. If you're actually growing your company and you're reinvesting in your company and you're in full on growth mode, it's good to reinvest that money back into the company instead of taking as a pure profit. But when you're trying to exit, now that's going to really kill you because let's say that your company is a 5X multiple based on the industry, five times your profit. Yeah. So if you were to like sell your company reporting the actual profit, it's worth five times 100,000. So it's worth $500,000. But since you've been hiding that $100,000 to avoid paying $30,000 for the last three years, you're saving $90,000 for the last three years doing that. But then your valuation isn't 500,000 anymore. You're, you're basically trying to hide from $90,000 and you lost $500,000. So the big picture is the thing you got to think about. So when you get into exit mode, it's a lot different operations about cutting costs, about maximizing profit, yeah. putting more systems and processes in place because they want that, that money machine. They don't want your job. And then you got to start firing yourself if you're still involved in the company. Yeah, great advice. And and for you, you know, I said we'd loop back to processes. You know, where do you where do you start? Is it, you know, closest to the customer back or, you know, what's your because you know, everyone always says, look, I get processes, okay, gonna make a start, but where's the priority? How do you make that priority? For me, I look at the roles that have the highest turnover first. So maybe that's your low-level technicians or your sales team. What can I write as a process that describes their daily routine? And it could be very simple nowadays. We have apps like Loom, L-O-O-M, on your computer. So if you're using a specialized app or a computer that you want to teach people how to use, you literally, with Loom, you can just record your screen movements and it, and it records everything that's going on your computer screen. 
So you could just verbally tell them like, okay, here, go here, click here, type in this number. If you don't know where this number is, it's over here. Just, you can teach everybody from just a recording from your screen. That could be a process. That's a really simple, simple thing to do and do that for their roles and responsibilities at that low level. And, and the reason I say that is because at the highest turnover positions, you're going to be training people over and over and over and over as they quit. Yeah. And if you can have all this recorded, it would be a whole lot easier for you to go, Hey, new hire, here's the manual for your position. And here's the videos that you need to watch. Go spend the first week doing this. And if you have any questions at the end, we'll sit some time down and we'll hash through these things with you. Is that cool? So you get all your time back. You get your 40 hours of essentially babysitting back. And for that, for each employees, it just adds up. So that's where I would start. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, for me, you know, it used to be, you know, a lot of people had uh, manual calendars. Everyone now has got a digital calendar. I think it's Mm -hmm. the same around project management software, right? A spreadsheet and a Google Doc is not a project management software. It's not a system, right? So make it easy for people and uh, put you know, put them in. I I must admit, even when I go back to corporates now, I think actually as a small business owner with the tools and the affordability now, in the old days, a large company had access to technology that no one else did. So Coke, one of our advantages is that we had access to technology no one else did. Now it's the flip, right? They're stuck with large systems that aren't flexible where now as a business owner, we can go out and buy, you know, we can swap project management software very easy or pick one. So highly recommend that. Have you got any particular technology that you use around processes? I think for small businesses, you can actually use the Gmail calendar for a, like a really rudimentary project management because it's really easy to drag blocks and put on time blocks. I mean, everything I do is based on a Gmail calendar. Most of it has it on their phone. If not, you got an iPhone, but it's got I, you know, Apple's calendar in it. Just start using calendar apps because I think that a lot of times people say they don't have time for things. They're just not managing the tasks. Yeah, time You can't manage time. Time is the same. It, it passes at the same speed every, every second. There's no controlling time, so you're not managing time, but you... You can manage your tasks. So your fitness, your family time, your vacation, all that goes on your calendar. And like you said, if you're in an organization with shared calendars, which a Gmail can do, you can have access to everybody else's calendar to see what they're working on, when they're going to be on vacation, all that. And it's just a really quick, easy app that most people have. Now, if you wanted to get into apps that are more project management focused, the only one I've really used is Asana, A-S-A-N-A. Very easy to use, very quick to add teams and just show tasks and kind of like it does like the Gantt charts and things like that. So there's a lot of different apps out there for sure. Just use use the one that's within your budget that also gives an idea of where you're going to scale because a lot of times people use these really free or cheap things and they're not really thinking about where their company is going to be in three or four years and how hard that's going to be to, to convert over to a more professional software later. Yeah, and I think the just to to build on that also get the people they're going to use it the most to pick it. I've seen so often that mm-hmm. that people will go and pick one because they like it, and then the team doesn't get engaged and doesn't use it. If, if you know, it doesn't work unless everyone uses it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's um, you know that's definitely been our learning. So as far as um, you know, you've talked about uh, you know building up for the exit, etc. So. Mm-hmm. What I've also found is that, you know, you, especially people who have come from corporate, which a lot of you have, you know, you had all these processes. So then you went to freedom, right? 
And I suppose what I'm hearing from you is that you actually got to nearly look like you are reporting to a board or you're actually, you know, you're using your time, you're using your assets and it you it, it's sort of foregoing a little bit of that freedom to get a bigger prize at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, is that what you see in business owners and is that how you got to help them to realise that, hey, if you really want that, that, you know, nice golden egg at the end, you've got to actually give up a little bit of freedom in the short term to get it. Absolutely. There's always that hard time to, to start up. Everybody's got to go through that. But once you get processes, processes, systems, and people in place, you'll be able to get that freedom and your time back. You also mentioned this earlier. This is There's two topics that kind of came to mind when you're mentioning this. One is that there's a, there's a really high reluctance for people to spend money on, on people, employees, or equipment to grow their business because they look at their profit and they're like, oh man, we're just not making a lot of profit. I don't think we can afford this employee, right? Guys, you got to understand that employees, there should be an ROI. There should be a return on that investment. Whatever employee costs, there should be some factor that's measurable that's going to show more to your profit. Like obviously you would never want to hire employees that are just going to kill your bottom line, but there should always be some level of contribution from those employees. And I'm not sure about the Australian laws over there, but here in the United States, especially in Texas, if I hire you and you're a low performer, I could fire you two weeks later. So it's it's not a final decision when you employ somebody. It's got to be like, hey, these are my expectations. These are the, the level of quality, the delivery times, the expertise you're bringing to the table. Like you, you have to put these in the roles and responsibilities very clear on what you're measuring them on and give that to them. Because even high performers want to know that because they always want to know what the benchmark is that they're being measured on. Everybody wants to know where they fit in, what they need to be doing and what their expectations are, regardless of their performance. Yeah. And so invest in those people and start to look for that ROI. And if it starts to show up, you'll, get, you'll gain the confidence to be able to do this again and again and again. Most people just avoid hiring their first employee forever. And the reason why is they don't understand the money per, money per task that they're doing. So here's, here's how I think about this. Maybe you don't like doing bookkeeping because a lot of people don't. They don't like doing bookkeeping. Like most bookkeepers and CPAs are kind of geeky about it. They love it. They're like, oh yeah, give me the numbers. And they speak in percentages and all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give me the, just give me the PL. I don't care about the other stuff. Like, yeah, that's cool. Like, shut up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So think about this. If you don't like doing bookkeeping, but you're doing it, what would you pay somebody in, per hour to do that? Would you pay them $20, $25 an hour to do that? Yeah. Okay. Maybe you would. So how much would you pay yourself as an owner? What is your hourly rate? And that's an easy way to think about that is like, what is my net profit that I pay myself at the end of each week? And how many hours did I work that week? Do a simple division. You'll figure out what your hourly rate is, right? So let's call it $100 an hour, right? So here's what essentially is happening if you're not hiring somebody. Let's say you don't like bookkeeping and you're spending six hours a week doing numbers, you're basically paying yourself $600 an hour to be a bookkeeper and you're not even that good at it and you don't like your job doing that. So you're the highest paid, least effective, most inexperienced bookkeeper in your entire city. So you got to think about that. Like you need to be go focusing on things that generate hundred dollars an hour as a CEO, as an owner, quit worrying about these little administrative tasks and running around town and buying supplies and, all that shit that's wasting your time. Like just, just go focus on, I need to go do this and just pay somebody to do that. Invest that, gain your time back, go focus on making the $100 an hour stuff. 
Yeah, look, totally agree. And I think, you know, for a lot of um, the cloud people that we work with, you know, are, are so in love with their product and so in love with the feature set that they forget mm. that they've got to be found. And you mentioned it before around a book, you know, I might write a best-selling book, but if no one actually finds it, no one's going to read it, right? So it's a it's a similar thing. So I think, you know, I always asked the uh, – with my team, I always ask a simple question, you know, what's the opportunity cost? Like what I'm about to do, can anyone else in the team do it? And if anyone else in the team can do it, there's an opportunity cost for me doing the things that only I can do. So go back and have a look at, you know, what you've done over the last week and then just see, you know, are you doing things that only you can do? And I think to your point, Tony, which is a really good one, is that often people find, no, what I'm doing is just filling time. Right. I'm just, yes. you know, like it's, I've gone through another day, right? Don't do that. You know, the opportunity is too great. And, and uh, Tony's uh, podcast that I listened to in preparation for this is, is a brilliant one. And um, three, three, six, five driver com forward slash podcast you can go and listen to that but i really recommend you go and listen to that episode uh, because it um it's not just talking about the topics that we've talked about here but he's also building on how you need to run your business with your health and other things so uh, look i could talk to you forever tony um but why don't we go now into the deep dive where i'll ask you four questions and you'll give me some rapid replies you're okay with that that's right all right well the first one is what are some daily sales habits you do to accelerate your sales? Follow-ups, follow-ups, follow-ups. There was so much gold in follow-ups that most people avoid it because it's uncomfortable. I've already reached out to that person and they they ghosted me or they didn't even reply. So therefore they must dislike me or they're mad. I don't want to bother them. Like these are the kind of things that people think about in their head. We all think about this, right? Yes. But if you were just to go back in your inbox and look at the calendars or the meetings that you've had in the last month, and just reach out to them. Hey, I'm still thinking about you. Just be polite, be sincere, be yourself. A lot of times people just forget. I get follow-ups all the time on myself because people will be like, hey, emails just get buried, guys. If you're busy and your client is busy, emails get buried, especially if it's the order of precedence. Like you got the things that you need to go take care of and they kind of distract you and the thing makes it to the second page, they may never even see it again, right? So understand that their lives are just like yours. Don't be afraid to reach out and have the follow-ups because I'll tell you that it's very hard to get that initial lead. It's very hard to get that meeting with somebody because that's what we're paying on the, the marketing copies just to get them to in the, in the door, just to get the interest of you. And most people, unfortunately, waste that on one point of contact. They don't even do the follow-ups. And I'll tell you that even like my retail business, I have a wheel business that sells wheels for cars. People will send me emails on a daily basis wanting a quote. We'll get a quote sent out to them. Don't hear about them. And initially you're thinking, well, they probably found it somewhere cheaper. They probably bought it somewhere else. Like, I'm not going to bother them. They're not my customer. Like, what are the, all the excuses that we can have, all the objections? And I'll, I'll just say, hey, go back and follow up, check on them, see if they need another quote or had any other questions. And just from those follow-ups, I'd say it's about 40% conversion on average, 40%. Of zero, if you're not doing any follow-ups, like that's a big, big conversion number. Because I would say out of all your marketing campaigns, we always shoot for like five to 10% conversion, which is really low. It's not that good when you think about that, when you're competing against all this noise out there. But if you know your follow-ups are 40% conversion, why aren't you doing those? Yeah, yeah. Simple money on the table. Totally agree. You talked about Asana, you talked about Loom, but what other technology is essential for you to accelerate your sales? 
nothing's really essential, but I do like to use Evernote to yeah. keep mental notes on my phone. It's kind of like it's replaced all the post-it notes that we usually have in our computer and our desks. Like I don't have any post-it notes anymore. It's all in Evernote. And what I like about it is that it's on my phone and it's on my computer and they're linked together. So if I have a note or something that I want to jot down, or maybe I'm listening to an audiobook or a podcast, I go, oh, I want to save that information. I'll just pull up my phone, pause it, type it in real quick, save it. It's there. And it's so handy because I think that more that I can write down, the less I have to remember, which makes me less anxious and have less stress. Yeah, yeah, your virtual memory. And uh, look, you know, as I was uh, speaking uh, off air to you, you know, I had uh, kidney failure and, and it was like kidney fog, they call it, where you just, you know, your brain, you can't remember anything. Evernote became my best friend. Uh, the next one is your best source of leads. So, um, you know, what's that in your business? My best wow. source of leads. Got a tongue twister there. My best source of leads is just really helping other people on social media and on different groups and communities. And I've been doing this for 20 years. So I'm the wired type of person that will not scroll past somebody's genuine question. If somebody's got a question and I know the answer to it, or I know a source or a referral who has that answer, I'll just take a few seconds and respond to people. And You'll find that as you do this, people start to recognize your name and your profile pic. And they go, hey, this person's always helping people. Even the people that are lurking, they're not even participating. They're watching the same interactions. But you become the person that's the connector, the person that genuinely cares, the person that could have scrolled by and said, oh, that's a really simple question. I don't have time for that beginner level stuff. I'm going to let some beginner answer that. No, I'll just answer it. And I've been doing this for 20 years since really since 1996 on automotive forums. And what happens is that you become the reputation of the person that's got the answers or the resources or the connections, and people will eventually start coming to you for the questions that they have, which could ultimately become people that join your community or buy your books or join your courses or buy your products or refer business to you. And that's the thing that you understand is it takes time to do that, but that is organic social. And it's not like doing it for a expect of something in return. It's just, I like to help people and that's the way I do it. So that's the, my number one lead is just doing that. Yeah, yeah. And then, and as uh, Boss used to say to me, you're always on the show. And I think that's a great example on social media, right? You just mm. never know who's uh, who's watching. And uh, the last question is a big one. I'll leave it to the end. But what's one action we can take today to 10X our sales? Wow, one action. I would say that you need to become better at using social media as a marketing tool. I find that even when I go speak at these large conventions, especially realtors and anybody that's in service, so many people, and I can relate because I had stage fright. I didn't like being on camera. Even in 2015, I was terrified to be on stage. And now I speak on stages with thousands of people in the audience. And I've got a TV show coming out. Like My world changed when I started to put my purpose ahead of my fear. And it's not easy to do because most people think public speaking or video content creation is, is more scary than death, right? So I had a near-death experience and I realized that, no, it's not scarier than death. So why am I not doing it? It's because we have excuses. We have insecurities. We worry about whether people are going to think about us. We think about potential criticisms. We wonder if we look okay or sound okay. Guys, the way you hear me speaking right now is not how I spoke in 2017. I joined Toastmasters, which is a public speaking nonprofit. I showed up every Monday. I raised my hand. I sat in the front. And I participated. And I also did social media videos every single day for over a year. 
truly to my brand name, 365 Driven, right? And as I was learning things in public speaking, I would just use videos to practice those things. I was the reps. And I started to inspire other people because they knew that I was just uncomfortable doing it. I mean, my first videos were terrible and I was willing to go be terrible at it because I knew I was going to improve. Yeah. And social media and video content creation or even podcasting is not going away. It's actually going to become more prevalent. And if you're thinking that this is like some fad and it's going to be like, it'll be over soon, it's not. It's going to actually be more because nowadays we're starting to talk about the metaverse and these 3D worlds that people are going to create. You're still going to have to be an entertainer, someone that educates or inspires in those things. So gain the courage by participating in those things like Toastmasters. It's really inexpensive. Hire a speaking coach, do the videos. It's not going to be easy, but it will change your life. And, and the thing that I want to tell you about this is that it can do this really quickly. I would say that even one week of doing videos every single day, like we do these video challenges in my group, one week will change you. Just one week, seven days has changed people's life because yeah. they start to realize after the end of the week, like, this isn't so bad. Like, why was I so scared about this? Like, I'm, I'm actually getting better. Like, this is easy. So it kind of goes back to the tasks that we talked about. We, we tend to do the things that we're good at or the things we want to do, but not the things that we know that we should be doing or the things that have the highest gravity that are going to move the needle. So if there's something you've been resisting or something you have fear around, chances are that's the thing that's going to change your life the most. You've just been avoiding it because you know the gravity of it. Yeah, yeah, so true. Run towards that fear. Well, look, you know, it's been wonderful having you on the show, Tony. Um, as I said, you can find out more about the podcast at 365driven.com forward slash podcast. The book is Side Hustle Millionaire, and you can go to sidehustlebook.net. All of this will be in the show notes, but if you are writing it down, you can write it down straight away so you can go straight in there. And also the Facebook group as well, which is 365 Driven Entrepreneurs Facebook. Just search that and you'll find it. We'll have all those links in there. And, um, you know, check out Tony's community. He said he's a giver, as he described for the last 20 years, he's been giving value and he will do that for you. So, Tony, absolutely wonderful to meet you, have you on and share your wisdom. And thank you for the opportunity, Paul. It's been a fun episode and I look forward to getting to know you better over the time. Brilliant. Thanks, Tony. Bye. Bye. I really enjoyed that interview with Tony and I hope you did as well. I love the fact that he's been in corporate like myself. He's built and sold multiple businesses. I've done one, but he's a guy that's actually learned from experience. You get a lot of people that are coaching other people that haven't really done the hard yards, and Tony definitely has. So as I said, you can join his Facebook group, free Facebook group. Just search for 365 Driven Entrepreneur. Also, his book and podcast, I highly recommend, which will be in the show notes. And why don't you share something that you took from Tony, whether it's around cash flow, whatever it was. Mention him on social, and I'm sure he would love you for that. Also, if you've got, you know, whether it's one, 10 or 100, if you're lucky, uh, friends or peers that you could share with them that, you know, they're looking to potentially scale and exit their business, I think this would be a great gift for them and they would love you for it. Please check out our solo shows, me, and sharing my value to you. And uh, lastly, please take action to live a life with no limits. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. 
head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.